Well, good morning to everybody. Good morning and happy Sabbath. Hope you've had a wonderful morning thus far and I hope that you've been enjoying the series that we've been studying in the Kings. We are almost done. We have today's study and one more King after this to study. And for those that are joining us for the first time in this Kings series, you will remember that um, all the kings that we've been looking at are, are from the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah. There were no good kings in the kingdom of Israel, unfortunately, the ten tribes. And so we have been looking really specifically at the kingdom of Judah, but we have been focusing in on the good kings that God has been working through for the children of Israel. But friends, before we get into the study, before we um, start looking at the word, Please do share your praises. Would love to hear from all of you. Please just type it in the comment section below. Let's share our praises about how God has been good to us in this past week. Well, I'm going to invite all of you to bow your heads with me for a word of prayer as we're about to start. Well, before, let me share my praise, actually. Um, forgive me for that. I forgot. But my praise is that SALT is starting soon for this year. So we're starting, I believe it is April 10, April 11. Um, classes are starting up. It's about to get real busy around here. But I praise God for providing for us, um, for accommodation, for the students that are coming. And usually they trickle in last minute. But, you know, it's, it's just nice to see how God is still sending young people who want to be trained in the work and in the word especially. And so please do keep us in prayers as it is always a big effort as we are dealing with the hearts and the minds of young people and even some adults that come and join us as well. Well, please do share your praise, but for now, let's bow our heads as we seek the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much again for this opportunity, for this blessed Sabbath day that we can come and spend time in your word. As we study together, Lord, we just ask that you would please be with us, that you would guide us and lead us with your Holy Spirit, and that your word would be that double-edged sword that would give us understanding, that would cut away sin, but also convict us and help us to come up higher as well. So lead us now, O Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the king that we are studying today is good king Hezekiah probably the best king of all the kings of Israel and Judah. Of course, Israel had no good kings. But let's get into our first text here for this morning. Let's turn our Bibles to 2 Chronicles 29 verses 1 and 2. Hezekiah began to reign when he was five and twenty years old. And he reigned nine and twenty years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father had done. And so we see here that he was a good king. He reigned 29 years and he started at the ripe old or young age of 25. But what was his background? His father's name was actually Ahaz. Let's read about him real quick, shall we? Pardon me, I went the wrong way. Second Chronicles 28, 22 to 25. 
and in the time of his distress did he trespass yet more against the Lord. This is that King Ahaz, for he sacrificed unto the gods of Damascus, which smote him. And he said, Because the gods of the kings of Syria helped them, therefore I will sacrifice to them that they may help me. But they were the ruin of him and of all Israel. And Ahaz gathered together the vessels of the house of God and cut in pieces the vessels of the house of God and shut up the doors of the house of the Lord. And he made him altars in every corner of Jerusalem and in every several city of Judah. He made high places to burn incense unto other gods and provoked to anger the Lord God of his fathers. He was a wicked king. The father of King Hezekiah was a wicked king. He's one that reintroduced idolatry all the way back into Jerusalem and into Israel all over again, made all the people to sacrifice to these foreign gods. And then we read this about him in verse 27. And Ahaz slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city, even in Jerusalem. But they brought him not into the sepulchres of the kings of Israel, and Hezekiah his son reigned in his stead. He was not even buried in the sepulchre of the kings. This is how wicked he was. This is how the people looked down upon him. And you know, friends, if there's ever ever any person that could say, hey, I, I have an excuse, it could have been Hezekiah. But out of this wicked king came a good and great king, King Hezekiah. Now, what did Hezekiah do when he started his reign? When he came to the throne, what did Hezekiah begin to do? Well, let's go back to 29, chapter 29 of 2 Chronicles and verse 3. It says here, he in the first year of his reign, you see, he held not, he didn't hold back. He was quick. In the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired it. So he opened the doors of the house of God. He restored worship back to the children of Israel, or really we should say the kingdom of Judah there in the south. So he restored back worship. This was the very first thing that he did. It went against all that his father did, you see. If there was anybody that that could have had that excuse to go down and follow the, the, the parents' path, it could have been Hezekiah, but no. He did that which was good. He did that which was right. He did that which was opposite to his father. But what else? What else? Verse 4 and 5, And he brought in the priests and the Levites, and gathered them together in the east street, and said unto them, Hear me, ye Levites, sanctify now yourselves, and sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers, and carry forth the filthiness out of the holy place. So he restored back spiritual leadership. He brought the Levites back in and he said, carry out all the filth that is that has been gathered into this holy place, into the place of worship. He cleansed the temple. He cleansed the worship places. He brought back in spiritual leadership. A king, you know, he wasn't just focused on governing the political affairs. No, the first thing he did was come back to God. But that's not all. Verse 6, For our fathers have trespassed and done that which was evil in the eyes of the Lord our God and have forsaken him and have turned away their faces from the habitation of the Lord and turned their backs. He had a true understanding of the condition of the country. When there was no no physical and, and material prosperity, he realized that it was because God was not with them. 
He didn't work harder to cut more trees and dig more gold and build bigger fortresses and houses. No, the first thing he did was come back to God. He had a true understanding how the children of Israel, the fathers, even his father, had transgressed the law of the Lord and had gone against him. What else had been done though? What else did they do? Verse 7 to 9. Also, they have shut up the doors of the porch, put out the lamps, have not burned incense, nor offered burnt offerings in the holy place unto the God of Israel. Can you believe that? Worship had been stopped. And then in verse 8, Wherefore the wrath of the Lord was upon Judah and Jerusalem, and he hath delivered them to trouble, to astonishment, and to hissing, as ye see with your eyes. For lo, our fathers have fallen by the sword, and our sons and our daughters and our wives are in captivity for this. It is true, friends. It is true. Sometimes we have trials and troubles and tribulations because we ourselves, as God's people, have brought it upon our own self. We've rebelled against God after receiving great light and blessings. And this is what Hezekiah is realizing. The first step was to repent, to recommit, to come back to the Lord, to come back to true worship. The Levites began to cleanse the sanctuary. And then letters went out to everybody to come and worship again. Let's keep reading, shall we? Verse, uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 30, verses 13 to 16. We skipped a whole bunch um, of, of verses here, but nonetheless, it follows on. Verse 13, And there assembled at Jerusalem much people to keep the Feast of Unleavened Bread in the second month, a very great congregation, And they arose and took away the altars that were in Jerusalem. And all the altars for incense took they away, cast them into the brook Kidron. Then they passed the, killed the Passover on the 14th day of the second month. And the priests and the Levites were ashamed and sanctified themselves and brought in the burnt offerings into the house of the Lord. And they stood in their place after their manner, according to the law of Moses, the man of God. The priests sprinkled the blood which they received of the hand of of the Levites. There was a restoration of the the services of the sanctuary, coming back and making all the sacrifices again, and revival began to sweep through the land. Friends, the, the, the recipe for revival is really simple. Repeated again and again, the same steps, it will always be the same thing. We got to come back to God. We got to come back to true worship. We've got to put everything in its proper place. God first, His law first, worship first. Look at this in Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 16. It has not changed. God says, Stand ye in the ways, see and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way? And walk therein, and you shall find rest for your souls. Friends, we need that old time religion. If it worked in the past, it will work again. If we make God the epicenter of our lives, of our whole existence, I'm telling you, the blessings will come. The blessings will follow in its train. God will be with us again. He will lead us. He will sustain us. He'll provide for us and He will prosper us. His name will be glorified in all the earth, friends, if we will make Him the center of our lives again today. But let's keep reading. Let's keep reading. 2 Chronicles 30, verses 17 to 20. For there were many in the congregation that were not sanctified. Therefore the Levites had the charge of the killing of the Passovers for everyone that was not clean to sanctify them unto the Lord. 
for a multitude of the people, even many of Ephraim and Manasseh, Issachar and Zebulon. Do you know that these four tribes, they were not from the southern kingdom, but they would come and worship as well. They had not cleansed themselves, yet they did eat the Passover otherwise than it was written. But Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, The good Lord, pardon everyone that prepareth his heart to seek God. The Lord God of his fathers, though he be not cleansed according to the purification of the sanctuary, and the Lord hearkened to Hezekiah and healed the people. People were coming from everywhere, even outside of Judah and Benjamin. There were other tribes that were hearing of, of how the worship was being restored and people were coming out from the woodworks. They were coming back to worship God. They were coming back to partake of the Passover. And even though they were unclean, the priests would sacrifice for them to cleanse them and Hezekiah would pray for them. Even though they didn't quote-unquote follow the proper procedures for quote-unquote cleansing, yet their hearts were in the right place. God heard their prayers. God heard the prayers of Hezekiah and he cleansed them. There was revival sweeping throughout the land. And friends, sometimes all it takes is for one good person to stand up and do that which is right. Sometimes people, they're just waiting for someone to lead them, to let them push forward in that which is right. And others will stand up and start to strengthen the hands of those that have gone before them. Friends, maybe you're that person that God is waiting. Maybe the, maybe you're struggling in the spiritual environment that you're in and your church and maybe there it isn't great, but you can make it better. You can be the one that can start the revival, not to attack anybody in leadership and from the pastor or the church board, but no, friends, we can restore worship. We can begin by making God the epicenter of our lives as well. But that's not all. Let's keep reading. Second Chronicles 30 and verse 22. And Hezekiah spake comfortably unto all the Levites that taught the good knowledge of the Lord. And they did eat throughout the seven feasts, the seven days, offering peace offerings and making confession to the Lord God of their fathers. So they taught the knowledge of God. They had Bible studies. The Levites were restored. I guess they had run off because money was scarce and they had to make a living for themselves. But now, as worship was restored, even the Levites could now support themselves and they could do the work that God had appointed them to do, which was teach the word of God to others. And then, verse 26, So there was great joy in Jerusalem, for since the time of Solomon, the king of David of Israel, there was not the like in Jerusalem. Can you believe it? For over 200 years, it had not been like this. They had not come to worship like this since the days of King David. Their sacrifices, their worship, not since over 200 years ago. And now Hezekiah, he's restoring worship. They're coming back to celebrate the feast days. They're putting God at the very center of their lives again. And friends, here, let me show you. This is how we can know when they are truly revived. It's not because they're just simply singing songs and they're praising God. You know, we, we can come and enjoy music at church. We can enjoy singing, but it doesn't mean that we're revived. Here is the true evidence of revival. Let's keep reading. Second Chronicles, now chapter 31 and verse 1. Now when all this was finished, all Israel that were present went out to the cities of Judah. What did they do? They break down the images in pieces, 
cut down the groves. They threw down the high places and the altars out of all Judah and Benjamin, in Ephraim also and Manasseh, until they had utterly destroyed them all. Then all the children of Israel returned every man to his possession into his own cities. What would they do? They would go out and destroy all the altars of Baal. They would cast down all those things that that were taking their attention away from God. They weren't just worshiping God. They weren't just coming and enjoying fellowship and breaking bread again and, and sacrificing all these sacrifices. But no, friends, they went out to make sure that that revival would continue on as they went home and back to their cities. Look at what the pen of inspiration writes. Prophets and Kings 338, paragraph 2. Now there remained an important work in which those who were returning to their homes must take an active part. And the accomplishment of this work bore evidence to the genuineness of the Reformation wrought. And then at the end there, 2 Chronicles 31 verse 1, which we just read, is quoted. You see, friends, there was a cleansing from all these false gods that they were worshipping before, and they made room for true worship. How can we know whether we are truly revived? It will be evidence in our actions. It's not just about coming to church and singing songs. It's not just enjoying a good message. It's not just coming and eating together with other fellow Christians. Friends, we will break down these other altars, these other gods that we have in our lives. You know, the gods of fashion, the gods of our appetite, the gods of our ambition and pride and all these things. We will get rid of them and we will make more time and room for God. But what else? Let's keep reading. Here's a long passage. Stay with me. Verses 4 to 10 of 2 Chronicles 31. Moreover, he commanded the people that dwelt in Jerusalem to give the portion of the priests and the Levites, that they might be encouraged in the law of the Lord. As soon as the commandment came abroad, the children of Israel brought in an abundance of the first fruits of corn, wine, oil, honey, and all the increase of the field, and the tithe of all things brought they in abundantly. And concerning the children of Israel and Judah that dwelt in the cities of Judah, they also brought in the tithe of oxen and sheep, the tithe of holy things that were consecrated unto the Lord their God, and laid them by in heaps. In the third month they began to lay the foundation of the heaps and finished them in the seventh month. And when Hezekiah the princes came and saw the heaps, they blessed the Lord and his people Israel. Then Hezekiah questioned with the priests and the Levites concerning the heaps. And Azariah the chief priest of the house of Zadok answered and said, Since the people began to bring the offerings into the house of the Lord, we have enough to eat and have left plenty, for the Lord hath blessed his people, and that which is left is this great store. What do we see here, friends? It's a restoration of tithe and offering. Finally, the Levites and the priests have enough to eat again. They can focus full time on the sanctuary again. You know, friends, what we don't realize is this. Yes, it was Hezekiah that was starting the revival and the reformation again, but it was the Levites that assisted them. They were the ones that were helping to restore true worship. And friends, it's in the power of the leadership and especially the pastors. You know, sometimes as pastors, we don't get paid a lot. It's like, oh, you know, our our missionary conference doesn't have enough money. But we don't realize that it's within our own power to raise those finances. If we would bring revival and reformation back into our churches, people would open their wallets. 
Women would open their purses. People would begin to give again. And there would be plenty in God's house that we would have to come to this point and say, stop, stop, stop. You've given too much already. We don't know what to do with all this money. Friends, I've seen it in my churches. I've seen it. You know, when I first came back to DAC, the, the church was in the red. It was struggling. And I just began to preach. That's all I did. As I began to preach, people grew in the word. We saw revival taking place throughout our church. And I'm telling you now, every month we are in the black. God has provided for us. We've paid off our our loan that we had from the mission. God has just blessed us so much. And it's not because God has blessed people to, to earn more. No, God has blessed us to give more. He's convicted us. He's helped us to grow. And I'm telling you, It's not about preaching about finances. It's about preaching the Word of God. If we preach the Word of God, God will restore true worship because we worship not only in spirit but also in truth. And then God will begin to affect all the other areas and help people to begin to be faithful again until there is more than enough to lay by in store. Where did it all begin? The Word of God. True revival. But let's keep reading, shall we? Verse 20 and 21. And thus did Hezekiah throughout all Judah and wrought that which was good and right and truth before the Lord his God. And in every work that he began in the service of the house of God and in the law and in the commandments to seek his God, he did it with all his heart and what? And prospered. God blessed. And I don't believe Hezekiah like, Hmm, what can I do to raise the finances again? No, he just came back to God. He just cleansed the land of all the filth of the idols. And as God was in their midst, as any, I shouldn't say any, any time, any time that God is in our midst, his blessings, his protection, his, his abundant provision will always be there for us. This is great King Hezekiah. But just as there was this blessings coming in, now a war and a a fight seems to come in. Why? To prove that God is with them. Let's keep reading, shall we? 2 Chronicles 32, verse 1. This really is the the passage that we're going to read that really makes Hezekiah famous. After these things, the establishment thereof, Sennacherib, King of Assyria came and entered into Judah and encamped himself against the fenced cities and thought to win them for himself. So out comes the king of Assyria. He camps there. He wants to conquer Jerusalem. And what happens? Verse 7 to 8. Be strong and courageous. Be not afraid nor dismayed for the king of Israel, uh, Assyria, nor for the multitude that is with him. For there be more with us than with him. This is King Hezekiah speaking. With him is the arm of flesh. But with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people rested themselves upon the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. You know, Hezekiah could say this because it was obvious that God was with them again. As they came back to worship God, as they put him at the center of their lives, they could see God's hand moving upon the people and how worship was restored. And Hezekiah could boldly say, even though the king of Assyria would come, he could boldly say, with him is an arm of flesh. But with us, we have the God of heaven. We have nothing to fear. And the people could rest in this assurance. It wasn't a false hope for their faith 
had been restored, had been built up again in these times of worship, in the times of peace. They were preparing for the time of war. And that's what we ought to do, friends. We ought to store up the rich treasures of God's Word in our heart because we never know when we will need it. And for those that do not, they're swept away unawares. Those that seem to be good and mighty in our churches, men of good renown and, 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 and just this, this integrity in their hearts. But when the trials come, it shows what sort of foundation we've been building upon. And then from verse 9 to 20, Sennacherib, he just rails on the Jews and he tries to discourage them, tell them it's no hope. And so we pick it up here now in Isaiah chapter 37, verses 1 to 4. And it came to pass when King Hezekiah heard it, all that king, the king of Assyria was saying to him, that he rent his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth, went into the house of the Lord. He didn't take a chance. He wanted to make sure that God was still with him. And he sent Eliakim, who is over the household, and Shebna the scribe, and the elders of the priests, covered with sackcloth unto Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos. And they said unto him, Thus saith Hezekiah, This day is a day of trouble, and of rebuke, and of blasphemy, for the children are come to the birth, and there is not strength to bring forth. It may be that the Lord will hear, Lord thy God will hear the words of Rabshakeh, whom the king of Assyria, his master, hath sent to reproach the living God, and will reprove the words which the Lord thy God hath heard. Wherefore, lift up thy prayer for the remnant that is left. It's only now that we begin to see prayer, pardon me, mentioned here. We see Hezekiah for the first time praying. And not that he hasn't before. He has been praying. He's been, he wrought great revival throughout the whole of the land of Judah. And even the surrounding nation up there in Israel had come back to, to worship as well. We saw very clearly that God was with him. But now he's rent his clothes. He's covered himself in sackcloth. He is fasting and praying to God. And he's asking for help. We see that Hezekiah is not just a man of the word, but a man of prayer. And this is the amazing thing. We're reading from the book of Isaiah. And you might be wondering why, but Hezekiah lived during the time of Isaiah. And he, he went to seek help from the prophet. And friends, we have a prophet in our midst as well, whom we can always go to seek counsel from. She's written many books. We can come and spend time in it. God has given us the, the ministry of Ellen White today. She has blessed us with much instruction. We ought to go there and find comfort, to find direction, to find counsel. And you see, friends, what is the result of Hezekiah's prayer? Look at this, Isaiah 37 and verse 36. Then the angel of the Lord went forth and smote in the camp of the Assyrians a hundred and fourscore and five thousand. And when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. This really is the one act of God that makes Hezekiah's reign so famous, 185,000 soldiers perished by the hand of one angel in one night. And King Sennacherib, he would go back and he would be killed by his own country, his own children. You know, when, when trials come, it really is there just to reveal the strength of our relationship with God. 
What happens when trials and troubles come upon you? Do you panic? Do you forget God? Do you stop worshipping Him? Do you stop praying and reading His Word? Do you stop spending time with Him because you're, you're too troubled in your heart and mind to go to God? And we need maybe a release from our troubles and so we go back to our old vices and our old distractions, movies or drugs or, or partying or whatever it is. But friends, the trials, they will just magnify what is in our hearts. And if God is there, we, like Hezekiah, will run to him. And so, through Hezekiah, by the gracious hand of God and the angel that he sent, they obtain a signal victory. However, life is not without its own trials and problems. Ah, you overcome the, 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 the battle here and the, the enemies there, but yet life throws you another curveball. And that's exactly happened. what happened with Hezekiah. Let's keep reading here in Isaiah 38 and verse 1. In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came unto him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. This is the other passage that makes Hezekiah famous, and you'll read it in a second. But you know, friends, I have a question for you. How would you react if a prophet came up to you and said that? Oh, God's told me, you're going to die. Look, if a doctor said that to me, I might go and get a second opinion. There might still be a chance. Maybe this person has misdiagnosed me, right? We always got to get a second opinion. But if a prophet said, God said, put your house in order, you're going to die? What hope do we have left, right? But not so with Hezekiah. This is where we truly see that he is a man of prayer. Isaiah 38 verse 2 and 3. Then Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and prayed unto the Lord and said, Remember now, O Lord, I beseech thee, how I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart and have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. You know, this trial did not stop Hezekiah from praying. It did not make him bitter against God. He didn't go, God, look at all that I've done for you. Why would you cut my life short like that? Why didn't you preserve my health? Right? We don't know why Hezekiah got sick. Maybe he had a bad diet. He was a good king, but he just had a bad diet. He didn't take care of his health. He didn't, he didn't sleep enough. We don't know. But he prays to God for healing. He prays against the words of a prophet. And he changes God's heart. Let's keep reading. Verse 4 and 5, Then came the word of the Lord to Isaiah, saying, Go say to Hezekiah, Thus saith the Lord, the God of David thy father, I have heard thy prayer, I have seen thy tears. Behold, I, would, I will add unto thy days fifteen years. You know, even though Isaiah, he comes back with this good news that God heard his prayer. Oh, I'm gonna, God's going to add fifteen years to your life now. Hezekiah is not satisfied. He, he, it's not enough to, to go, oh, okay, how do I know that God has heard my prayers? No. He asks for a sign. A sign that God has heard his prayer. What sign is this? Let's keep reading. 2 Kings 20, verses 8 to 11. Hezekiah said to Isaiah, What shall be the sign that the Lord will heal me, and that I shall go up into the house of the Lord the third day? And Isaiah said, This sign shalt thou have of the Lord. 
that the Lord will do the thing that he hath spoken. Shall the shadow go forward ten degrees, or go back ten degrees? And Hezekiah answered, It is a light thing for the shadow to go down ten degrees. Nay, but let the shadow return backward ten degrees. And Isaiah the prophet cried unto the Lord, and he brought the shadow ten degrees backward by which it had gone down in the dial of Ahaz. Can you believe that? The sign that God would give in answer to Hezekiah's prayer was that the sun would move back 10 degrees. It would go back, meaning earth would stop and rotate and go backwards. Can you believe that? God interrupted the whole flow of the solar system, of the Milky Way, just because one man prayed. Yes, that's right, because one man prayed. Such was the strength of Hezekiah's faith and his connection with God. But that's not all. That's not all. Because of this, others would take note. The change in the stars, in the solar system, the the, the change of the sun moving, people would take note and people from other countries would take note of this. Let's keep reading. 2 Kings 20, verse 12 to 13. At that time, Berodach Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he had heard that Hezekiah had been sick. And Hezekiah hearkened unto them and showed them all the house of his precious things, the silver and the gold, and the spices and the precious ointments, and all the house of his armor, and all that was found in his treasures. There was nothing in his house, nor in all his dominion, that Hezekiah showed them not. People from Babylon, they heard about Hezekiah's miraculous healing. They, they found out that the sun had gone back because of his prayer. And so they come to visit Hezekiah with gifts and presents. What manner of king is this? What manner of person is this? That the shadows, the sun would move just because of him. And when they came to visit, yes, the kingdom of Babylon, when they came to visit, Hezekiah did not give glory to God. Hezekiah did not point them to God, but he showed them all the treasures of his house, all that was in all of Jerusalem. And these people opened their eyes and they saw, wow, instead of coming to know about a true God, like what King Solomon did when the Queen of Sheba came to inquire about his wisdom, he still at that time was faithful and gave all the glory back to God. But not Hezekiah. Somehow, somehow here, he let it slip. He forgot God. He forgot to give him all the glory. And as a result, there was a judgment that would be pronounced upon Hezekiah. Look at this. 2 Kings 20, verse 14 to 19. Then Isaiah the prophet came in to King Hezekiah and said unto him, What said these men? And from whence came they unto thee? And Hezekiah said, They are come from a far country, even from Babylon. And he said, What have they seen in thine house? And Hezekiah answered, All the things that are in mine house have they seen. There is nothing among my treasures that I have not showed them. And Isaiah said unto Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days come that all that is in thine house 
and that which thy fathers have laid up in store unto this day, shall be carried into Babylon. Nothing shall be left, saith the Lord. And of thy sons that shall issue from thee, which thou shalt beget, shall they take away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then said Hezekiah unto Isaiah, look at this, Good is the word of the Lord which thou hast spoken. And he said, Is it not good if peace and truth be in thy days? Because of what Hezekiah had done, the the king of Babylon would come back again one day and conquer Jerusalem. That was in the days of Daniel. This prophecy would be fulfilled. And the thing that really puzzles me is this. Why did Hezekiah not pray this time? Had he let go of God? Had pride somehow crept into his heart and his life that he has forgotten to give glory all back to God? I mean, he, he prayed for his life. He prayed for, for the king of, kingdom of Israel when they were surrounded by the kingdom of Assyria. He prayed. He, he didn't have just a personal welfare for himself. He had a personal welfare for the kingdom. And this, in the future, maybe he didn't have a personal welfare because it was so far off. We don't know. But why did Hezekiah not pray? He didn't care about what would happen to Jerusalem. He said, good is the word of the Lord. But the last time the word of the Lord came to him that he would die, he he went against it and he prayed so hard that he changed the word of the Lord. God changed his mind because of him. We can only point to the one fact that maybe, maybe Hezekiah had backslidden. When he was sick, he prayed. When he was surrounded by forces, he prayed. But now, He's just resigned to the fact that Jerusalem would be conquered, be taken away. The children would be taken away to this strange land and be made eunuchs. And he said, good is the word of the Lord. He had stopped caring. Why? What happened? 2 Chronicles 32, 25. But Hezekiah rendered not again according to the benefit done unto him. For his heart was lifted up. Therefore there was wrath upon him and upon Judah and upon Jerusalem. What happened? His heart was lifted up. He became prideful of all that he had quote-unquote accomplished. But it wasn't him, it was God. How did it become like this? How did he let all this success to get to his head? Why did God allow all this success to come upon him? Well, he, he fulfilled the conditions of revival. And God was with him and he blessed him. And he didn't bless him to his detriment. Some people lose their faith because they're too poor. People lose their faith even in between, when in the middle class. Not just the rich. Not just because God blessed them. No. Friends, we are able to leave God at any stage if we don't make him the epicenter of our hearts and lives. And it doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor, we will give the excuse or the reason that this is the reason why. Some people leave God because they're poor. Some people leave God because they're rich. But friends, you know, we got to learn to be careful to always give all the glory back to God. When riches increase, men's heart, they increase with pride as well. And the riches were not their downfall, but it's because they stopped spending time with God. Maybe some of us, we're too rich, you've got to get back to living a normal life. Or life that is more, not so affluent. You don't have to buy the bungalow or the, the biggest and richest car. It changes your heart and life. Do you know that? 
As time goes on, friends, we got to learn to live more simply, more humbly, even though God has blessed you even more. We don't know how it got to that point, but it was because Hezekiah's heart was lifted up. Sounds like Lucifer, doesn't it? In Ezekiel 28 and verse 17, the Bible says this of Lucifer, thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. Yes, Lucifer, the the most adored of all angels, right-hand man of God, he was the one that would be lifted up in pride because of all that God had blessed him with. He forgot to keep his eyes fixed on Christ. Friends, it can happen to any of us if we lose sight of Jesus. You know, who was the son of Hezekiah? Who would it be that would take over the throne after he died? Look at this. 2 Kings 20 and verse 21. Hezekiah slept with his fathers, and Manasseh his son reigned in his stead. We're not going to be studying about Manasseh in our series of the kings because Manasseh was one of the most evil kings in the whole history of Judah and the Israelite nation. You know, every man stands for themselves. The decisions that we make affect us, but yes, it does affect others, but really, it affects only our salvation. And we've got to be careful not to take all the blessings of God for ourselves, to think that we are the ones that made it, that we are the ones that deserve it. We ought to be careful with the blessings that God gives us, that the things that we surround ourselves with, the blessings that have come from from God, the money that we have in our accounts, that we are careful not to go out and buy things that would lift ourselves up in pride. Just because you have the money to buy a Mercedes or a BMW, it doesn't mean that you should go out and buy one. Or just because you have the money to buy a a $500,000 sports car, it doesn't mean we should go out and buy the, the Porsche or the Ferrari or the Lamborghini. These sort of things, I'm telling you, it changes how we act, not just towards others, but towards God as well. Yes, the size of our house, the, the, the furnishings we put in our house, the clothes that we wear, the handbags that you carry, how you look, how you dress, the things that you surround yourselves with when God gives you these blessings, it can change your heart. And we ought to be careful. We've got to make sure we render back to God what belongs to Him first, tithe, offering, more than just a loose change in your wallet, the time on Sabbath from sunset to sunset, and even during the week, how you spend your time. Are you putting God at the very epicenter of your lives? I'm telling you, friends, if you're not, no matter how much or how little you earn, through those little money that we have, we can even lose our hold on God as well. We ought to be so careful how we spend our money, how we make use of the blessings that God has rendered to us. And if we're faithful, we're faithful to the Sabbath. We're faithful in our tithes and offering. We're faithful in spending time with God. I'm telling you, He will guide us and He will keep us humble, even especially how we spend the blessings that God has rendered to us. 
we sometimes we say, look, God has blessed me with this great house. But you know, sometimes, friends, we bought that house with the blessings that God gave us in our bank account. This was not the bless of God. It might be the curse of Satan. Are you with me? Because we've not used the blessing of God in the right way. We ought to be so careful, friends, that we do not become puffed up and pride and lifted up in heart, thinking, wow, look at all that I have, all that I've done, all that I have accomplished and achieved in my life. When we look at all these possessions, I'm telling you, it is imperceptibly but surely changing our hearts. Friends, are you a light to the world with the blessings that God has given to you? Are you that salt of the earth that gives us good flavor to all around you? Or people become envious of what you own and they aspire to be like you, but they are so poor that, oh, if God doesn't bless me with all these possessions that this person have, then I don't want to follow God. Maybe sometimes we give others the wrong impression of who God is. Let us learn to live humble lives, simple lives that we don't use and misuse and abuse the gifts of God. May God help us to that end. And may God bless each and every one of us, give us wisdom, discernment, and especially His Spirit to lead us. Not just how to be faithful, but even in the purchases of our life as well. That truly our hearts might remain humble. That we would not be lifted up and walk away from God at the very end, just like Hezekiah did. He was the greatest of all the kings of Judah. But yet at the very end, it seemed, it seemed like he left God. Let's be so careful, friends. Let's be faithful until the very end. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, please forgive us where we have misused our money, where we've not used it rightly, where we've not spent it wisely, where it's not reflected your character, but our own pride and our selfishness and our greed. Lord, please help us and forgive us. And Lord, if if we need to sell some of our possessions, may you convict us and help us that we might give more back to your work and not add more to our lives. Help us to be comfortable, but help us more than anything else to be content. Lord, guide us and may this instruction that we've seen from your word this evening, this morning, pardon me, ring true to our hearts. Guide us continually with your spirit as our earnest plea and prayer. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Friends, thanks for joining us this morning. God bless each and every one of you. And may God guide your purchases and your business, financial, educational decisions in this coming week. May we be found walking closer and still closer with the Lord. Goodbye for now, and God bless each and every one of you. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.